Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Colin Lamoth. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share to you. Our topic today is not the continuation from last week on our D&D High School NPCs, but rather a nice short little jaunt into a spotlight on a monster that you may have had thoughts about in one way that we'd like to get you to think about a little bit differently. This week we're going to be talking about goblins. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, Colin. Yes. Tell me a little bit about this new uh, this new job that you were apparently doing a thing for tonight. Ah, yes. I was doing a networking meeting uh, that we had to get all together to do on Sunday. And by me and by all together, I mean me and a bunch of other people in business suits uh, to go to a networking opportunity in Indy. Um it, this may be a little bit too much information for the viewers, but recently I have needed to find some new employment, and in order to do so, I have been networking pretty hard, because networking is about, I think the last time I read a study on it, it's, you know, 60 to 80% of your new jobs will come from somebody that you know, your networking opportunity, so it's pretty important yeah. to kind of... Um, Speak with a great number of people and let them know what your talents and abilities are. So funny enough, I actually read a bit of an article recently that talked about networking and its essentialness to finding jobs. And I believe the number that was set, um, cited there was 75%. Aha, so I hit right about in the middle. See, I've heard it say 60, I've heard it say 80. Now we've heard it at 75. It kind of bounces around, but either way, it is important. Networking is important and you know it may not be a rye for you to if you were ever in a similar situation considering that everyone around the table should be friends to ask your your friends your gaming friends if they have any ideas where you might be like to apply or to possibly follow up on opportunities i've actually been in a situation like that uh, where a gaming companion of mine uh, had basically just moved to New York and had worked in film before and was trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I get into this in this particular environment? And since that is my huge air quotes day job, it's what I do that makes me rent money, uh, it fell to me to essentially say, like, all right, this is what you got to sign up for. This is how you go through the process. This is how you do it. And... Uh, Suffice to say, it's worked out pretty all right for both of us so far. Networking helps. So do it. <laughs> Indeed. Now, there's not a great way to segue out of this topic into the one that we're about to talk about. Um, are you kidding me? Goblins are the best networkers in the world. Are they, they always have to work together. Otherwise, how will they ever beat anyone? <laughs> I guess that's fair. That's fair. So then the segue should be, you know who's also great at networking and teamwork by dint of necessity for survival? Goblins. Goblins, indeed. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was my cat. 
<laughs> that was a very loud meow. <laughs> would your cat like to be a guest star on this podcast? She because, would. Well, okay. I have to ask a very important question, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Is your cat of the hairless variety? She is not of the hairless variety. That's a shame, because if she was, she would actually be pretty much the closest visual thing that we have in this world to a goblin. That's fair. Actually, you you know this cat. It was my it was my secret dorm cat from college. Oh, oh my god, I do know this cat. Yep. This beautiful, adorable, mangy little bastard. Yep, that would be oh, the exact one. Full of rage great. and hatred. Um <clears throat> But yes. Well, I mean, she was raised in secret. What do you expect? I mean, only for a little while. But yes, you are absolutely correct. Goblins. We know them. You know them. You've likely fought them before. They are a staple, especially in D&D for open-level adventurers. They are the preferred punching bag of low-level characters. Them and kobolds, really. Honestly, I see a lot more goblins than I see kobolds nowadays. Well, kobolds are usually kind of like more subterranean variety. Like, you don't really right. see them out in, like, plains and forests as much as you see them really only in caves. So, but goblins can be anywhere. Ubiquitous. And, you know, going back to, like, the whole Mines of Moria, take it from Tolkien sort of days, you can see goblins in caves, too. Goblins show up literally everywhere. That's part of their strength. They are, theoretically, perfectly adaptable to any number of situations, and they also come in several varieties. Exactly. So what kind of goblins have you faced in your adventures? Well, if you take goblin to mean any sort of goblinoid race, uh, I have dealt with, like, run-of-the-mill goblins, hobgoblins, and bugbears with varying regularities. And an interesting thing, in one of the campaigns that I'm playing and not one that I'm running, we actually recruited a couple of hobgoblin mercenaries that are pretty much... Um, brewers who take care of our home base and make beer and export it to make us a little extra cash really yeah uh i'm trying to remember their names because they're not really characters that my character interacts with on a person-to-person basis although now i am remembering that the other character that i'm playing in the other campaign because, as people know, or might know, I'm playing in two different campaigns right now. One in which I'm a human paladin, and the other in which I'm a dwarven bard. Mm-hmm. The human paladin is the one who helped recruit these hobgoblin mercs to make beer for us. The dwarven bard was introduced um, in the city of Sharn, if anyone is familiar with the Eberron campaign setting, by shacking up with... In all of the implied implications, because that's the implied most graceful way to say that sentence, uh, was shacking up with a an elderly goblin woman called Yiddlepod. What was that again? Yiddlepod. Yiddlepod. Okay, fair enough. I did yeah. hear that correctly. It was the uh, it was the best way for him to have a place to stay and not pay any money for it, and he is unscrupulous. So why not? 
And a big part of what we had wanted to talk about tonight was ways to subvert mm-hmm. the ideas that come with the stereotype of goblins. And this is part of the series that we're calling our monster spotlights. And this was an idea that Colin presented to me that I thought was fantastic. And I can't stop talking, so I just have to shout that out to him without letting him actually <laughs> personally take credit for it. But it's essentially this series that we're going to be doing every time we need a short episode of saying, hey, have you thought about running encounters or running characters a little differently? Exactly. So when you encounter goblins, often they are presented as, as we mentioned before, low-level enemies. You know, often very tribal, thievy, murdery is kind of the way that they are uh, typically encountered. Now, right. have you ever encountered them in a different light or in a different variety? Well, and this is one of the things. I, uh, as some listeners might know, and as all listeners will eventually hopefully know, I am in the process of writing a book that plays on some of these fantasy tropes. Mm, yeah. In this book, I describe uh, one of the goblin races as being, quote, typically mindless. And that is one character's judgment upon them. They are not necessarily creatures without minds, but generally speaking, the stereotype of a goblin is to follow these very base tactics that are what might be considered savage and brutal and all of this other, like, inhumane or inhuman tack. Mm-hmm. Uh, one goblinoid character does subvert that in various ways that I won't spoil so that when my book does come out, people read it. But aside from the few examples that I mentioned before, the brewers and the landlady, I guess I'll call her. I haven't really seen, at least in games that I have played, goblins played in different ways. The one other place where I have seen it is actually in a webcomic that I believe is just called Goblins. Oh, I know exactly the one you're talking about. Yes, uh, you can find it at goblinscomic.com. I haven't kept up with it over the last, like, three years because at one point I was reading something like 68 different webcomics and I pared that down to about seven because who's got time for that when they're not in college? (laughs) But, you know, that's... I I guess I should give a touch of context, but Colin, since you also know what I'm talking about, would you like to use that as a way to segue into your differing experience with goblins? Well, honestly, a lot of my experience with goblins as a player has been just with them on the side of antagonists. As a DM, though, um, generally with the monstrous races, uh, if they're not, you know, of the more animal variety, where their minds are just basic predators, but if they have uh, some sapience to them, they make tools, they have civilizations. Um, I try to, in every game, dig in to the fabric of their society, uh, how it works and why they exist the way that they exist. Now, my 
style is often to try to cast a sympathetic light on um, bestial races that have often been just categorized as more intelligent enemies, uh, mostly because I think that, you know, not that they need to be subverted all the time, but that it is important for a player character, especially one that is interested in these kind of cultural notes, to have something to dig into, where it goes in like, goblins are savage and violent. Why? Oh, because goblins are savage and violent. Why are you talking to them? Um, when you build something, and you build uh, out some of their culture, and uh, their ideology and and things like that, you kind of come into, you know, question, well, why are things done this way? And if you come up with an answer for it, well, then you can leverage that in your story to make your environment richer. So are the goblins violent because they feel as though their, their land is being encroached upon? Are they violent because given their diminutive stature, uh, they're having a difficult time hunting and need to pilfer supplies in order to survive? Or are they savage and vicious and violent because they have a, um, you know, like a particularly vehement religion? Their goblin god uh, has tenants that orders them to go out and bloodlet or, or raid or pillage or what have you. What drives these races? And you know, honestly, I think that a lot can be said for sort of taking it in an entirely different direction. Like, for instance, uh, Warcraft, the the game you can play, I think. Can you play a goblin in World of Warcraft? So in Warcraft, I have never actually played World of Warcraft. So I'm going to do a quick bit of Google Foo to see you go ahead and keep talking about a slightly different thing and i will let you know sure, so i know in final fantasy 14 you actually can't play a goblin but goblins do exist they refer to themselves as gobbies hmm. uh goblins are playable huh. in world of warcraft so i know that they were presented as kind of the um horde variety uh, horde variants to the gnome that they're sort of gadgeteers um, in the World of Warcraft lore, and people feel free to school me on this if you know a lot more than I do. It's there's oh, a good I'm chance sure you do. <laughs> but that is kind of a way to represent goblins as a way uh, or as a, as a species that can actually interact with the other civilized, air quotes, uh, races in a way that I think is is quite. Fascinating. So if you consider the goblin, these small kind of ugly, savage little humanoids, why? Consider How? the goblin. <laughs> I just you, had to throw in a little bit of like David Attenborough there. We should you, do that for our for our spotlights going forward. Yes. I need to work on my David Attenborough impression. Then. You, you really do. We should have like a little thing, little intro where you do that. Consider the goblin. Yeah, then you have like a whole little thing that you read. Anyways, write that down. We'll 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 jump back into that later. All right, put it in the notes. So Jess does David Attenborough impression. This is staying in the episode. Okay, you know I I can tell you're you're reading it. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was performative. You're welcome. That was that was for you, audience. Enjoy it. 
Please continue before I just talk myself into oblivion. Yeah, no, okay. So, one way that I have seen goblins presented is that their entire race is actually under a curse. And the curse kind of makes them the way that they are. Sort of uh, takes like a halfling or a gnome, and uh, it was a it was a family or a specific clan that angered a particularly powerful demigod or just a god, and their clan was cursed to have their values inverted, and they became bestial rather than civilized and savage rather than peaceful. And that is the way that they are right now. And it's actually the means of sort of a magical curse that is keeping them the exact way that they are. I have seen other people present the goblin as um, instead of just these these tiny little like demons that run around and like uh, and pillage things, it's the keepers of uh, of all the base secrets. The goblins are sort of forced by their nature to go out and discover things. They're pilfering. And their stealing is actually a very deliberate form of information gathering. And they tend to know all the secrets of the races, all the places where the dungeons are and where the ancient uh, and where like ancient liches are buried. They know all the stories because their their entire race is a race of hoarders. Interesting. I like that one. And this is I, I would like to talk very briefly because i don't want to get too much into it because hopefully it doesn't need state stated too strongly but when you are making something that could be considered a quote-unquote bestial race or a lower race or a sub whatever avoid as much as you can coding them in a way to represent various actual real-life ethnic groups. And this is not something that I think most players will have to worry about, but this is something that has been read into, and not necessarily intended, I will say mm. that, uh, but read into the works of writers like J.R.R. Tolkien, where certain ways that orcs or goblins or other races were presented seemed like they were representational of ideas at the time of people of other races. And now I will say at one point, Tolkien does describe orcs as having, I believe the quote is base or mongoloid features, which like, that's super racist. Don't do that. But also like, just be aware if you're calling... You know, any non-human, elven, dwarven, halfling, what have you, race, things like savage or tribalistic, that that can potentially have troublesome implications. And you want to make sure that you are saying these not in a ways that, like, oh, you know, they represent, like, African <clears throat> cultures and tribes. Nope. Nope. You want to be very specific in the ways that your goblins, if you are following along with the traditional or stereotypical route, say how and say why they are tribalistic, if that's something that you want to get into. Maybe the entire clan that you're facing is literally just one big extended family. Like, that's a thing. That's a thing that most actual human cultures don't really do 
because I think we all kind of figured out like 70 or 80,000 years ago that big consistent um, cough cough incest is not something that is generally good for societies. Could create a bunch of goblins, you might say. It could. It could. I like the way that you saved that and turned it into kind of a joke. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> kind of piggybacking off of that, <clears throat> the important thing that, and we've discussed this before, is to keep an open dialogue with your group. If anybody is uncomfortable with a representation of an NPC or of a race or anything like that, it's your world. You can change it. You can yeah. make variations of, of what you're doing. And if nobody has a problem with it and you don't have a and like you don't have like a specific thing where it doesn't stand out to you as as really socially or even racially problematic then you don't have to read into it too too deeply but if somebody does have a problem with it honestly uh, listen to our other episodes it's um it's a game and the important part is that people feel liberated from the world that they're coming from and you can't do that if you make them uncomfortable with the world that you've created. Bouncing off of that just for a hot second, even if it's not <laughs> your world, like if you're playing in a pre-written setting and something comes across to you as like, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be problematic in any sort of social justice warrior sort of way, because I know there are going to be people out there who are like, oh, these people are talking about racism. They must be assholes because that's a thing that happens. Uh, but no, if you're playing in, like, Eberron, and you think, hey, I don't like the way that kyber crystals work. For a little bit of background here, Eberron is a popular campaign setting in the Pathfinder and Dungeons & Dragons universes, and kyber crystals are crystals made from magic that make the enchantments happen. I don't really understand them. They that, also have goblins in that setting. Sorry, just keeping us on task. They do indeed have goblins. But here's the thing. If you are playing that game at your table with your pals, you can change it. What's written down is not gospel. It's not the word of law. It is suggestions. And I will say to their credit, almost every role-playing book that I have ever seen explicitly states, you don't have to take all of this seriously you can change whatever you want because all of them understand this is a game for people to play in their imaginations just if i were to ask you to engage your um, your imagination represent me a hot new take on goblins what would you give me all right so You've got a party of players. Let's say it's a normal sort of nicely diverse and balanced party comp. They're walking through the woods down a road and they come upon an upturned cart surrounded by the corpses of the horses and the merchants or whoever that had been driving it. Poor horses. And your... Oh, I know, it's always the horses. They just get such a raw deal. <laughs> but they have reasonable meat, and this is just a thing that you have to take into consideration. Like, the horses are going to get butchered. It happens. So, your ranger, or whoever gets the highest perception, hears rustling in the trees and says, Alright, I think 
there are goblins around. Well, they're right. There are goblins around, but what bursts out of the trees is a goblin police force. These are constabulized, like, constabulized isn't a real word, is it? It, it really isn't. Deputized, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, they have been given power of law by their goblin community that exists within this great forest or what have you to figure out who caused problems and to take care of them. And in you coming across this upturned and murdered caravan at roughly the same time that this goblin police force did, boom, you've got conflict. You could fight these goblins, but these goblins are not here to protect their kill that they're trying to loot or whatever. No, they're here to arrest you because they're pretty sure you killed these merchants that were going through their woods. And if people can't go through their woods, then how are people going to stop at their village and trade? Hmm, how are they going to do that? Now you've got a diplomatic incident on your hands because these goblins have a functional society that's not built purely on raiding and pillaging. That's all it takes, y'all. Just say, like, hey, these things that act sort of like people are basically people. What are the goblin laws? Like, let's say the party allows themselves to be taken, to be processed, because they are innocent of this crime and they think that they can prove it. What what kind of law proceedings would you would you put for the, the goblins? And, so wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, Furthermore, what would goblin court be like? Okay, so goblin court, I'm super glad you asked because I imagine it to be super dramatic. Like, okay. Like Judge Judy levels of dramatic, where Wait. you've got the magistrate sitting on a high chair. Not a high chair. I know goblins are small, but like, let's be, let's be respectful of their goblin cultures. The chair is simply high. It's not made for babies. Okay, right, of course. But then you've got a a jury of their peers. I mean, it's it's mostly goblins and maybe like one other merchant who happened to be in town and got roped into this whole process just so you can add a little bit of variety into there but you are being accused of uh big big murder because like they're they're still goblins even though we are saying that they're people their linguistic skills have never been touted in any sort of uh legitimate way i mean that's because you don't speak goblin no, I'm sure if you've got a party member who actually speaks Goblin, then everything is much more eloquent. And actually, I have run into a character where, in common, they basically only spoke in expletives. Hmm. But if you understood Goblin, then they were like one of the most eloquent people ever because they just, he barely spoke any common. And that was like, kind of played for a joke, but also... That's a thing that happens to people. Like, I only know 12 words in this language. Can you show me the bathroom? Bastard. Why do I know those words? Because I'm a person and, I don't know, people are weird. So, you're sitting in front of Goblin Judge Judy. And Goblin Judge Judy says, You are accused of big, big murder. You have 24 hours to present evidence... To prove you didn't do the big, big murder. 
Otherwise, okay. we execute you. So that's an adventure right there. So the so the goblins they drag you into court, and then they give you a quest that allows you to leave the court and go and possibly grab some evidence. What's stopping the players from just leaving the the village? Do they get goblin escorts? I feel like it's either goblin escorts or it's like bomb collars. If you want to go with the whole um, take it World of Warcrafty and make them tinkerer types. Actually, I really like the ideas of a bunch of the idea of a bunch of goblins strapping bomb collars to the party of adventurers and saying like, "All right, we magicked it up. If you leave this forest, your head will explode." Hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's say. The adventurers do get that evidence. How how does the goblin court proceed? Because you said it's very Judge Judy-esque. So I assume that there's a performative element to it. My question is, is it a performative element because that's just the way things go? Or is that a very important part of their legal proceeding? Is the ability to sway the audience not only with, um, with evidence... But with a very, with like very evocative performance and dramaticism. What if goblins have fairly short attention spans, and you have to make things very fascinating and interesting for them to stay involved in the proceedings? That's. A- I mean, obviously, it's the latter because that's way more interesting and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, like you, you have to be. This is where having a bard in the party makes all the difference, because if you have someone who can present themselves as your big city lawyer, who is very talkative and can hold the attention of the goblinoid brethren, then, like, yeah, things are going to go better for you. This is the sort of situation that, as a DM, I would throw in front of players if I know I've got time for a one-shot, and I just want it to be fun. Hmm. Not bad. In in our discussion, we have posited a way for goblins to be interesting, both with a deputized police force and a jury system, and maybe even a cultural system that depends on engaging the goblins in um in really compelling and overdramatic ways in order to keep their attention because their minds literally need something to stay focused on. Yeah. I mean, really, just imagine goblins as a society. They could be your typical run-of-the-mill raiders, barbarians, what have you, or they could be a bunch of 16-year-old vine stars on crack. The excellent part of these monster societies and the way the monsters are presented is that there isn't always a lot of material based around exactly how their societies work, which leaves you the option of creating something that would not ordinarily be the way that a society might evolve. So you can explain how in your magical world, certain conditions allowed this race to have the qualities and the social interactions and even the laws that you want to engage your players with. And remember, it is your world Always err on the side of compelling engagement. There's no need to make anything too, you know, boring or listless or even extremely bureaucratic unless that's part of the point. You can twist that to your desires and make every aspect of a society that they're engaging in 
compelling to the player characters. Remember that as, as, as a DM, as running the game, you need to bring your players into the world and make them feel connected. So the more engaging the culture is at including them within its inner workings, the more they might enjoy the experience and even be inclined to go back. And that's, that's how you really know that you've done a great job. If during the course of your story, you have presented this tribe of goblin NPCs and you didn't expect them to show up again, but the PCs take it take out of their own time to go back and try to win an alliance with them, talk to them, create a new situation with them, you know that you've created something that they are interested in engaging in. So I would challenge all storytellers that are listening to this to think about how they're presenting some of their enemies and building alternate encounters other than just purely combative encounters in order to... Um, Throw your players for a loop, switch it up, and give the monsters a chance to tell the world from their perspective. Man, that would be great. I look forward to hearing from our listeners about how they have subverted, you know, goblins or any other sort of monster. Say you've got a really unique take on Yuan Ti. Tell us about mm, it. Yeah. And you Please. can tell us about it in an email to dodecapodcast at gmail.com. Colin, what's that address? That is dodecapodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dodecapodcast. And again, that is D-O-D-E-C-A podcast. Thank you so much for your time. We look forward to hearing from you. And uh, please let us know about any goblins that you've encountered. I want to know about all of the goblins. Tell me about literally every single goblin. <laughs> Blow up my email with goblins. Literally do it, please. I want to hear about this the next episode. Now... From everybody here at Dodecahedron and Dodeca Podcast, I want to thank you for coming out, for listening to us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next episode. Bye.